Bibles, please turn to Matthew chapter 4. And the one that was the most indignant was Judas. And he was the one who was money changer. And right after that incident, we will see and we'll read it again, that Judas decided it was a better investment to sell Jesus than to give Jesus his life and his goods. Matthew 26, verse 14 and following. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me that I may hand him over to you? So they counted out to him thirty silver coins. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? And he replied, Go to the city and to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says my appointed time has come. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus directed them and prepared for the Passover. When the evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and when they were eating, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. And they were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him not to be born. And then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. And Jesus said, Yes, it is you. God's word to God's people. Let's pray. Father, use this passage to warn us of sin but use this passage to remind us of your grace and mercy that even warns us of sin, that we may walk in ways of holiness and grace and gratitude, and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, one of the men that you probably have heard of in church history is William Tyndall. Tyndale. And he was responsible for translating the Bible into English. He translated from the Hebrew and from the Greek. Martin Luther had already done that into German in 1522, but William Tyndale did it in 1525, and thereby it spread the Reformation through the British Empire. And you would think that was a good thing, but it was a bad thing according to Henry VIII. And he was looking for a way to arrest William Tyndale to have him martyred. There was a young man named Henry Phillips who took several months to become William Tyndall's friend. And he began to be, uh, Phillips began to be interested, it appeared, in the translation of the New Testament and how he did it and what his goal was. And you can imagine what they talked about. And even he, uh, Phillips borrowed money from Tyndall because He wanted to show him that there was this kind of relationship being developed. And he paid the money back, which built the relationship a little bit more. And then one night they went off to eat. And as they were walking back home down the 
narrow streets, uh, Henry Phillips stepped back. Two men grabbed William Tyndale, Tyndale and arrested him after Phillips pointed out this is the man. They not only arrested him, they put him in prison for over a year. And then after a year, he was strangled and then he was burned to death. And it was all because of this friend who had said, this is the man. That's what we have in Jesus and Judas's relationship that Judas is going to be the one that betrays Jesus with a kiss. He's going to be one who has spent three years with Jesus. I mean, has spent every waking and sleeping hour almost for the last three years with Jesus. He's heard everything that Jesus has taught. He's seen all the miracles that Jesus has performed. He obviously has seen Lazarus raised from the dead. And he obviously was sent out when they were sent out two by two, preached the gospel himself, cast out demons, healed the sick, and now he will be the one who will betray Jesus. And we all know the story well. But our question this morning is, how do we respond? How did the disciples respond? How does Judas respond? And how do we respond? How did the disciples respond? Jesus drops this verbal bomb in their midst. There's one of you that will betray me. And they are saddened. The NIV said sad. Other translations say they were shocked. The idea might be dismayed or overwhelmed or it's unbelievable. You might could capture that idea there. Uh, But they all had this idea of it's unbelievable. They knew that Jesus was going to be betrayed, but they didn't know who was going to betray him. Jesus, three other times, it says, I'm going to Jerusalem and be betrayed and be crucified and be resurrected in three days. But he never said in those three predictions that Judas was going to be the one that did it, or one of the twelve would be the one who betrayed him. And so they were sad. But they were What's the word for it? They were healthy, pessimistic about their own heart. They had this healthy distrust about their own commitment to Jesus. And one after another, they said, Is it I? Is it I? Is it I? And they all had this understanding somehow by the grace of God that there was this potential within their heart to betray Jesus. Given the right circumstances, they knew that this might possibly be them, but they hoped not. They knew what Robert Murray McShane knew years and years later. Mary McShane said, the seed of every sin is sown in everybody's heart. And given the right environment, that seed will grow and blossom. But one thing they didn't do is they didn't accuse Judas. They didn't say, oh, I know it, it's Judas. It's Judas. You know, he's got that look about him. I knew he was an evil person from day one. 
As a matter of fact, Judas was probably the most trusted one of the group. Who do you let keep the money? You know, if you think somebody's disloyal or dishonest or, dis, or not trustworthy, you don't give them the checking account. You don't give them the bag of gold. And nobody said, you know, it might not be Judas, but maybe it's, it's Peter. You know, he's always running his mouth. Peter's always sticking his foot in his mouth. And nobody said, hey, you know, James and John, they got a temper. They're known as the sons of thunder. They're zealots, and they're ready to push this agenda, and so they're going to betray Jesus and, and bring this warfare to a, to a culmination. Nobody even said, hey, that Thaddeus guy never says anything. Maybe it's him. No, they all examine their heart and they all realize that they could be the one. And Jesus said, the one that I dip the bread in will be the one, and of course they all will dip the bread in. And that would mean that uh, to dip bread with somebody would be, you know, it's like, sharing a meal, but an intimate meal. You would never dip your bread with somebody and then betray them. Do you know what it's like to be betrayed? Have you ever been around anybody that has been betrayed? Have you ever had your husband or wife betray you or an employee or a friend, or a co-worker. I can remember, you know, used to, I used to do a lot more counseling. I guess people found out I was worth every penny I charged, which is nothing. But anyway, people pay to get counseling now, which is probably a good thing. But I used to do a lot more counseling, and a lot of counseling was uh, marital counseling, where people would come in and they would say, uh, not in these words, I've betrayed my wife or I've betrayed my husband and I can't believe I did it. And you just, it's gut-wrenching to deal with somebody that's really repentant and then enter into their marital situation and see how hurt somebody is. And you multiply that times maybe a hundred and you have the way that Jesus could have felt when Judas betrayed him. What about parents who have watched their children grow up in the church and they've gone through communicants class and they profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They've been involved in youth group. They've gone to RYM. They've gone to Presbytery conferences. They've done everything. And then they get to college or get out of college and they... Learn some crazy stuff from some professor, and all of a sudden they're claimed to be atheists. And what's your reaction? Could I've done more? Could I've carried them to church more often? Should I got them in a different group? Should I had them have family devotions more often? Is there anything I could have done? You you begin to wonder. Did did I contribute? to this betrayal of their faith. And you think, if I could maybe talk to them one more time and say just the right thing, I'd bring them back. 
And you wonder if the disciples wanted to follow Judas out after he dipped his bread. It says in John 13 he left. And you want to know if the, the disciples wanted to follow him out and say, let's think about what you're doing. I can remember it was 25, 30 years ago. We weren't in this building and we had just started that building back there. And so we're talking about 1990. And I was counseling with a man who was thinking about leaving his wife. And I was, man, we were meeting regularly. And I was begging him. I mean, I was pleading with him, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, please don't do this, you know. I did everything. And he said something to me that I've, that rings in my heart. And I realized, he says, Tim, you think if you say just the right thing, you'll change my mind. And you can't. It wasn't anybody's fault that Judas betrayed Jesus, but Judas's. There wasn't anything. He heard all the great teaching. He saw the great lifestyle. He saw holiness and compassion walk before him. And he rejected it. And so when we find people that have done that, we're not to be surprised. We're not to be judgmental like I would never do that, but we're to be humble and say, except for the grace of God, I'd do the same thing. Second point, Judas's response. Judas responds the same way they all responded. Surely not I. And you're almost like if you were reading the Bible for the first time, you go, I just read where you went to the scribes and the Pharisees and you bargained for 30 silver coins and you're looking for an opportunity and here you are, you disingenuous hypocrite, asking Jesus, is it I? Was he blinded to the fact? Or did he think Jesus was blind to the fact? Didn't he just hear Jesus predict it? Was he in denial? Was he blind? Or did he have something else up his sleeve? You know, some people believe that Judas did Jesus a favor. That at that time there were Gnostics. Gnostics basically believed that, that everything material is bad and everything spiritual is good. And so far, Judas to betray Jesus and have Jesus killed was a good thing because it would release Jesus from this evil body. And you say, nobody would think that. Go back to 1970. There was a manuscript stolen from a museum. The manuscript they found out was a manuscript of the gospel according to Judas. It was a gospel that was dated, uh, the copy was dated in the 4th century uh, A.D., but it was referring to the gospel of Judas that was around in the second century because Irenaeus had already condemned the gospel of Judas as being a Gnostic gospel. You see, we have this idea that the church met, you know, years and years ago and they had this stack of books and we'll put this one in and we'll take that one out and we'll put this one in. That's not how it happened. That as people wrote the Bible, the churches confirmed what was the word of God. And the gospel of Judas was never considered by the church to be authentic because it preached a different gospel. I want to 
read you some of the things it said. I'm reading Philip Ryken. According to the Gospel of Judas, I've said Thomas several times, but there is a Gospel of Thomas too. According to the Gospel of Judas, these two men, Jesus and Judas, were best of friends. And Judas betrayed Jesus only because Jesus asked him to do it. Judas and Jesus had many private conversations during the last week of their life in which Jesus told Judas many secrets, and he never shared any of those with the other disciples. This because Judas was the most important disciple. He's the only one who really understood Jesus. And Jesus said to him, listen to this, Jesus said to him, reading out of the Gospel of Judas, Step away from the others, and I will tell you the mysteries of the kingdom. It is possible for you to reach it. The gospel according to Judas is no gospel at all. It ends with Judas selling Jesus. There's no cross. There's no dying thief. There's no resurrection. There's no sharing of the gospel. The whole purpose of the book was to vindicate what Judas had done. And it doesn't work. And what is happening here in this passage is what Jesus is doing. He's graciously, mercifully compassionately warning Judas, warning Judas of what is about to happen. He was warning Judas about what was about to happen. If you do this, it would be better for you that you had never been born. What was Jesus trying to do? Hadn't Judas been decreed to do this? Didn't we read back up in verse 24, the Son of Man will go just as it is written about Him, talking about in the decrees in the Old Testament, that God had said that there would be a son of perdition. Judas, Judas was chosen and lifted among, listed among the twelve as the one who would betray Jesus. And here it's saying Judas was only doing what was written. Can't you hear Judas standing before God and saying, without me there'd be no cross. Without me there'd be no betrayal. There'd be no I was just doing what I was called to do. And there's no way he can say that. The decrees of God and the sovereignty of God do not take away our responsibility. I want you to look at the back of your hymn book just for a second. And I want you to look at the Westminster Confession of Faith. It's on page 850. And in your explanation to Judas, I want to give you a paragraph to think about give you three caveats which you make sure you don't violate when you discuss things like this. Chapter 3 of God's Eternal Decrees on page 850, paragraph 1. God, from all eternity, did by His most wise and holy counsel of His own will, freely, unchangeably, ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Colon. R.C. Sproul says, all that says so far is there is a God and God rules over everything and everybody that believes in God ought to believe that, even as hard as it is to understand at times. 
And then it goes on. Yet so as thereby neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of his creatures, nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. In other words, whatever Judas did, Jesus is not, I mean, whatever Judas did, God is not to be blamed for it. God's not the author of sin. God did not make Judas do it. Judas was not a puppet. He was not a robot. He was not a, a determinative thing that he, he didn't make him do it. The best explanation I've ever heard on this, it comes from a guy by the name of Donald McLeod. And I want to read it for you so you can listen to it well. God's sovereignty does not eliminate man's freedom. It does not take away our liberty or absolve us from responsibility of our actions. Judas betrayed the Lord Jesus and he betrayed him by God's determination and foreknowledge. In other words, God foreordained that Judas would betray Jesus. But God also foreordained that Judas would betray him and that he would choose to do so and desire to do so. God's sovereignty does not mean that his whole purpose moved in and forced Judas to particularly do this act. Rather, God foreordained that without compulsion, without coercion, Judas would freely, voluntarily, with all the moral force of his own personality, express himself in betraying the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand what he's saying is that God is sovereign, but you can never say, God made me to do it. Any more than you can say that God, that Satan made me do it. That we're not robotically walking through this world, even though God is sovereign, that we are responsible for everything that we do. Everything that we do. And so what Jesus was doing here was probably, according to some, is offering for the last time Judas of his own free will to repent. Here's what Derek Thomas says. Now I know it's hard to hold all these things together, and if you begin to think too much, you're going to get into some kind of trouble. But here's a verse in Scripture we cannot erase, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's what Peter says. And I wonder when Peter wrote those words, was he thinking about Jesus in the upper room? Even with the likes of Judas, God desires the repentance, but he could no longer repent. What an amazing thing that here we have God in his mercy, not working against Judas, but working in his mercy to, to, to alert him. To what he's about to do. So how do we respond? How do we respond to all of this? Well, the way we respond to all of this, I think, is first of all, is prayerfully. In Psalm 139, it says, Search me and know me, and see if there's any evil way in me, and lead me in the life that's everlasting. That we should pray that, that there's no secret sin in us that we're allowing to harden. 
that Judas's sin was, was he loved money. He stole from the money bag. He sold his Savior for 30 pieces of silver, what you would sell a slave for, one-third of what Mary paid for the ointment that she anointed Jesus' feet with. He loved money. And he loved money more than he loved Jesus. And what you and I have to do is we have to get our, our, our financial data in order. And we really had to sit down, and I don't know how you do this, except you just be honest with each other, your husband and your wife or whoever. It says, does our money in any way reflect that we love Jesus? The second thing I think we have to do is we have to realize, what do we plan to do? I hadn't thought about this, but I was reading Ligon Duncan's uh, sermon on this passage. And Ligon talked about the idea that uh, what Judas did was he planned to do it. You know, sometimes you just, quote, fall into sin. You know, it's, you know, somebody steps on your last nerve, you know. You know what I'm talking about? But do we have anybody that plans to sin? And so Ligon said this, and this was years ago, so there are students here today who profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They have owned Him publicly as their Savior. They've made a public profession of faith. They've gone through communicants class, and yet they themselves are planning to commit sexual immorality. They're planning to engage in underage drinking. They're planning to seek the approval of their peers and run away from their Christian friends. And then he doesn't let us off the hook. He said, there are businessmen here today who profess Christ, who have actually professed Christ before men that plan to cheat in their business, that cheat on the IRS or a client, that they actually might be planning to be unfaithful to their, high, their spouse, making arrangements to meet them in, in some clandestine way. What do you plan to do? I remember going to hear R.C. Sproul in the men's rally. And uh, he spoke on men being unfaithful to their wife. thousand men there. And I, I remember him saying, there's probably a few people in this room that are planning, you know, their next rendezvous with their adulteress. And I remember thinking, are you crazy? I mean, really, I'm thinking, we got a thousand men who gave up a Friday and a Saturday, and there are no men down here that are involved in immorality. These are, these are God's frozen, chosen people. R.C., they wouldn't do anything like that. I mean, I remember thinking that when he said it. I'm going, you know, he's trying to push that button. Got home the next week, and one of the men that went with us knocked on my door and said, I at the men's rally and been cheating on my wife and their marriage unraveled you don't put yourself beyond things like that 
that we don't plan, uh, you know, don't plan things. You know, pray that God would show you the red light. But the other thing we ought to do, we ought to pray, God, preserve me, keep me. We talk about the perseverance of the saints, but we all know that we persevere because God preserves us. And what we ought to do regularly is, God, keep me from falling away. Keep me from sin. Keep me from falling into temptation. Keep me until the very end. Keep me faithful. And I believe that's a prayer that He'll answer. Let's pray. Father, difficult passage, uh, difficult uh, even to hear through my squeaky voice, but we do hear Your warning that... uh, that we can be outwardly look so good and be so far away from you. But we also can be people that are proud and judgmental and say, I'd never do that. Make us to be humble. People who prayerfully uh, come before you and ask that you reveal our hidden sins that we might not be uh, fall into them. So bless us now as we come to Jesus and we pray in his name. Amen.